Hi, and welcome to Overexposed, a podcast by Pexels made by and for ambitious creatives. I'm your host, Wendy Way, and I am joined on this episode by someone who I think is one of the most iconic human beings alive, the one and only Meg Lewis. Meg is a designer, comedian, performer, and educator on a mission to make the world a better place through her Megtastic personality, which resonates through all aspects of her work. She has worked with the likes of BuzzFeed, Google, and Slack, just to name a few, but has also taken the stages across the world, including Adobe Max, to teach and inspire others. For her to have gotten here was not an easy feat. We talk about her journey of self-discovery and breaking free of status quo in order to make a career that is not only fulfilling, but truly genuine to who she is as a unique individual. If you're stuck in your current career and feel like something's missing, I encourage you to listen to Meg's story. Even if you're truly fulfilled in your life, um, which congratulations, <laughs> and just need a little inspirational pick-me-up, I also encourage you to listen to Meg's story. So I'll stop talking and let's get on with the episode. Awesome. Well, first of all, I just want to say I am a little bit nervous as a fairly new podcaster. I feel like I'm in the presence of the podcast queen. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to um, Overtime so much in this past year. Have you? Awesome. Well, I will say that I've only been podcasting for one year and I, so I don't know what I'm doing necessarily, but I, with my own podcast, I edit the whole thing in GarageBand. So I think most most audio people would probably turn, they would frown at that. So I really don't, I don't think I know what I'm doing. Oh, don't worry. Me too. <laughs> I never like kind of show my background because I feel like it's like other people use like so much like more complicated softwares and I, I just know <laughs> Garage yeah. is just the one that comes with it. <laughs> yeah. And before I do every interview, I obviously do my fair share of research. And when I was doing it for this episode, I only meant to like watch one of your talks on YouTube and ended up going down a Meg Lewis rabbit hole. And I am <laughs> totally not upset about it. <laughs> I'm super excited to dive into this talk and talk about your career, this one of kind career that you made for yourself. Yay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to ingest anything I have to offer. It's very, very kind of you to do that. So Meg, you are a lot of things and I feel like just listing them would be a disservice. So could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing? Yes. I also can't figure out how to explain who I am and what I do for a living because I always leave something out on accident, but I'll try my best. So I am a designer by trade, um, but I mostly mix design with comedy and performance to basically create things that make people feel great, help them shine. And I do that as an individual for people that are in my own audience, but I also do that for brands. So I create various experiences that mix design and comedy and humor and play together to basically create things that help bring a brand and their community together. Amazing. And I'm really excited to kind of dive into more about your work. But I think one of the most amazing things about you is that you're blazing the path for what it means to be a woman, a leader, a creative by letting go of these ingrained thoughts of needing to ask for permission and uh, like seeking validation from other people. And I feel like as humans, it's only natural to kind of focus on the negatives because it makes us vulnerable and uncomfortable. Um, I feel like you're such a role model, especially to me and a lot of people around, but I feel like everyone great starts somewhere. What inspired you kind of 
go down this path of not only being comfortable and confident with yourself, but also kind of sharing that for others to do the same. Yeah, I would say for the first, you know, few years of my career as a designer, I've always been a freelance designer. And you mentioned, you know, validation and, uh, you know, being a freelancer, especially being anybody in this world, we're constantly seeking validation. And as a freelancer that has its own set of complexities, because you constantly have to, you know, wait around for companies to validate you and want to work with you. And I would say that for most of my life, especially uh, even with the first few years of me being a freelancer, I was, I'd say about 10% confident with myself. Not very. (laughs) I really didn't like myself. I thought as a designer, I really could not identify what in the world I had to offer the world and that was unique. I couldn't see what was special about myself, special about my work. I was just scrambling to survive and to make it and to be able to make enough money to live. And I just was not feeling great about myself at all. And, you know, I think I truly was the same person that I am now. I just was not able to see who I was and all of the parts about me that were so great, I was hiding from the world. And that was not my fault. And it's not anyone's fault for doing that. Most of us are doing that all the time. It's the world's, we're trained to think that way since we're Mm -hmm. kids. We're taught very early on that anytime we're different from one another, that is bad. And, and anytime we try to show that thing that makes us different from normal, um, you know, we get made fun of if people Mm -hmm. comment on that thing about us. And so then we learn to suppress it. And that was happening to me, like all over the place with my body, with my personality, Mm -hmm. with the work that I was making. And I really just got used to hiding every part of me that was different. And I was so, so trying to just pass as normal. So I would dress specific ways, talk specific ways, have specific popular interests just because I wanted people to think of me as normal. And it got to the point where I would just, you know, rehearse everything I was going to say out loud in my head to make sure that it was going to be perfectly normal, not weird. And anytime something that would slip out of my mouth that was slightly weird or slightly to me, I would get so embarrassed about it. I wasn't saying anything offensive. I was just being weird. But yet I would have that problem where I would, for years, I would keep thinking and fixating on that thing I said that one time. And eventually I just realized that it wasn't working for me. I was not happy, but I also was not getting much work because I was just basically emulating other creatives work. I was, you know, doing the thing that I was taught to do, which was studying successful Mm -hmm. people and doing what they were doing, learning from them and emulating them. And as a designer, I think that what I was doing, which is what happens with most people is I was following trends. I would see a successful designer and I'd be like, well, that style works for them. I'll try that with this client. And you know, I just wasn't making anything that I felt confident about because I was basically just copying other people Mm -hmm. and getting inspired by them. And so eventually when I figured out that I was really so unhappy with myself and also not getting the work and doing the work I wanted to be doing, I had to step back and start to assess and learn who I was for the first time in my life 
and then try and figure out how I could apply that to my work and try to slowly push forward the parts of myself that were the most unique, which was the hardest exercise to do. Um, But I did it little bits at a time. And I started with a safe group of friends that I felt like I could be myself around. I would try to be myself more and more and more. And that would help train my brain to realize that it was okay, that the worst case scenario wasn't going to happen. And then over time, I expanded that group wider and wider and just started to be more of my weird self in public. And then the last step was doing it on the internet. And through doing it more and more, I just trained my brain to realize that it was okay. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I got completely hooked on doing it. And now I'm just obsessed with trying to push myself forward, trying to be myself as loudly as possible, whether it's through the work that I do, the way that I present myself on social media or the way I decorate my home or the way that I dress everything I try to apply myself to in a visual, but also a just, you know, strategic way. Um, and it's so fulfilling for me at now I'm, I'm not, hundred percent, I would say there, nobody is a hundred percent free of self-confidence. I would, I hope, I hope I can get there someday. I'd say I'm like 75, 80% self-confident, which is great. I am relieved to be here. So that's where I am now. And it's such a journey. I'm still very much in the middle of the journey and it's just so fun. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And like, just looking at your like presence online, I, like before I was like, kind of researching more about your past, I was like, there's, I couldn't believe that there was one point where um, you were like not confident because it shines so much through your work now. Yeah. But like anything, I feel like it just comes down to like practice and just kind of taking little steps along the way because everyone, I think in some way, shape or form thinks this part of me is weird. Like no one, no one can relate to this. I know you mentioned like safe spaces a lot where other people can be like, wow, like they can do this. So, so can I. Exactly. I think that's, what's the most exciting to me now is that now I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to be that example. I'm happy to embarrass myself on purpose to be the example for other people to realize, Hey, if Meg's able to do this for herself, maybe I can too. And it's not that scary. So that's the larger work I'm doing now is just to be not an example for people to want to be like me, but I want to be the example for people to feel comfortable being themselves and being different from me and being okay, being loud about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in your talk at Adobe Max, you mentioned um, that you kind of repeatedly fa- found out what successful people are doing and do what they do, um, which is kind of not inherently bad advice, but it could be an easy trap to kind of fall into and get uh, comfortable in. And I feel like a lot of creatives just, like just starting out are often worried about like, oh, like how do I find my style? Was there a specific moment um, when you realized that Um, I don't want to just copy others and start to kind of trust your own skills and talent. And what was that process like to get there? Because I'm sure it's like kind of scary steering away from the status quo. It's, It's so, so scary. But yes, I realized eventually that something in my gut was always telling me the way I was operating was not right. But you hear the same advice over and over again. And you just assume like, oh, these people know more than I do. So I should just trust them, even though it doesn't feel right. And I eventually just realized that my gut exists for a reason. So now what I do is I like to have the mindset of, I also agree that studying what people do, successful people do, or people that are doing something you want to do 
and learning from them is not bad advice necessarily. Um, and I still do that today where if there's somebody that's doing something that I really admire, I like the way that they, I like their approach. I heck yes. I study what they do, but then I listen to my gut the whole time when I'm studying and I try to assess ways that maybe I can take the general bones of what they're doing and apply it in a way that works specifically for me, a way that's original to my process and to my unique personality and my voice. And that's, that mindset has been really helpful for me because I am very, uh, just because of how I've been throughout my life and very impressionable, I would be the first person to join a cult. I just can't, <laughs> I have to stay away from anyone with a clipboard on the street because I just will like, anything you tell me persuasively, I'm just like, yeah, yes, I will join whatever, you, whatever you say. I'm in. Um, so I've had to learn that that's part of my personality, which can be very dangerous for me. So stopping myself constantly, whenever I'm in the beginning of joining along with something and saying, wait, 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 what is your, like, what is your gut telling you? Does this actually work for you? Um, and that, that mindset has been really helpful. And it's all about realizing that much like yours and everybody else's, my personality is different from everyone's. So my process for going through any sort of thought, thought exercise or, you know, creative challenges going to definitely be different. So whenever people are like, you know, persuasively giving me advice, um, telling me how to do things, it might not work for me. What worked for them might be great and really exciting, but it might not work for me. So realizing that and taking a moment to acknowledge that and be okay with that is really helpful. And it's helpful for me as somebody who has to give advice all the time to realize because the advice I give to anybody might not work for them too. It might just be what worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like they like with like trend reports and things that, that are so easy to access nowadays, the first thing it's like easy to kind of get into this mindset of like, oh, like, I don't know like what to do about something. You're kind of stuck on something. So you go to your good friend Google and kind of just like find out what other people are doing. But it's that uh, kind of moment, like you mentioned, kind of like sitting and listening to your gut or like uh, going inwards on yourself rather than constantly kind of looking outside and seeing what uh, other people are doing. Cause then you kind of lose that sense of thinking for yourself. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, that's a larger issue. That's very complex, but you know, we're all conditioned to kind of we're, we all grow up in the same world in many ways, even though we're so different. So we all encounter a lot of the same issues. You know, what happens in the world is that or at least in the part of the world we live in, is that, um, you know, we're told very early on that we're not good enough for a variety of reasons and that we need to buy products in order to fix mm -hmm. ourselves or to make ourselves feel better. And so that sort of marketing capitalism part of the part of our human experience exists, but also trends exist. So whenever you combine the two, what ends up happening, what's happens to me all the time still, even though I know not to, is... Um, you know, I'm told I'm not good enough. I'm told like, you know, my wardrobe is, uh, I'm dressing poorly or whatever. And then I like, I'm like, okay, I need to buy a new outfit. And then I look and I see all these trends. And so I'm like buying this new outfit according to all the trends I see. And then eventually what happens is the trends go out of style. And then I feel gross about myself again. So then the pattern starts all the way over. So we're constantly feeling dissatisfied with ourselves and having to reinvent ourselves over and over and over again. And that happens, whether it's the way we're dressing, 
the way our body shapes work because body shapes are even a trend. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. And it happens with the way we decorate our spaces. It happens with the creative work we make, um, what styles are trendy, all of that. So I think the most helpful thing to me has been to just assess what's going on in my brain when I'm falling into that ploy of adhering to trends and constantly reinventing myself and stopping and saying, wait a minute, what is unique to me? What can I, how can I dress that's unique to me or decorate my home or have a design style that's really special to what I can offer the world that is Mm -hmm. going to be timeless because it's a reflection of who I am. And I, I still today have to stop myself in the middle of like trying to buy some shoes because I think they're trendy and they're cool. Um, and remind myself like, wait a minute, these are Brown. Is there anything about me or like, these are Brown and they have a really intricate floral pattern. Is there anything about me and my life and my influences throughout my life? All the things that have made me who I am and my personality, is there anything about me that's Brown and with an intricate (laughs) floral? And the answer is no, there's not like once I go through my life and, and realize who I am and what's made me this way, nothing about that is tied to Brown or intricate floral patterns. So then I stop myself and say, wait, 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 this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with trends and my brain just like trying to latch mm-hmm. onto a trend cause it's cool. So doing that, going through those exercises and figuring out all that information for myself has been so helpful because now I have this wonderful barometer for what to do. That's really in tune with who I am, but also is it really fulfilling to dress in a certain way, Mm -hmm. to design things in a certain way that really has everything to do with the core of who I am and what makes me special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that analogy. <laughs> it reminds me of this book I just read. Uh, it's Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It's a pretty popular book. And um, she just talks about how it's like scary to go on a path of your own. But what's even scarier is when you find yourself in a place that you don't even like enjoy who you are or enjoy your work. So uh, that kind of like self-work is not only like worth it, but also like so important to kind of bring you back to like yourself when you're unsure of what to do next. Yeah. And it seems so very basic to just ask yourself those questions like, what makes my personality unique or what makes me who I am? What are the skills I have to offer the world? What are the unique perspectives I have on the world? Those are such basic questions that seem like, why bother going through them? Of course, I know what they are, but really most humans don't. Most most people go their entire lives without being able to acknowledge these things about themselves. So it's really mm-hmm. the best possible way to place to start. And most people can't even answer them. Most people don't know the answers. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the answers. I had to ask the people that I felt like knew me the most. I had to ask them what the answers were. And most people do too. So it's no wonder that we all feel this way about ourselves because we are so our identities are tied to what the world mm-hmm. wants our identities to be and not what they yeah. actually are. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of artists, especially, um, I feel like they feel like they need to hide behind their work. Um, even for me, like for years, um, I've been that person who was like, oh, I'm just going to let my work speak for itself. And I'm really glad that idea is changing, starting with like people like you and what you're doing. Um, And you mentioned something very amazing about shifting from this like skill-based designer to having a purpose-driven career. Uh, How did you see your work and life change once you adopted this uh, kind of shift in the mindset? Yeah, before I was a freelance designer that had different specialties. So I was constantly bouncing around between 
web designer. I was like a web designer for e-commerce sites. Then I became a more of like a UI designer, product designer. And then I moved into brand design and brand strategy. And that was my identity. I, you know, absorbed whatever brand's identity I was working on and really Mm -hmm. just was able to, I was solving problems. So I was able to get into the problems and I lost track of who I was during that time, which you kind of have to do whenever you're solving Mm -hmm. problems for other people. (laughs) So eventually I just decided that I didn't feel like I was that fulfilled doing that. I'm not a natural problem solver. I don't enjoy it. And so I realized, why am I doing something that I really need a passion for problem solving in order to be a professional problem solver? (laughs) And I didn't have that. So I had to assess what other options are there for me with this design skill set that I have. And I realized that there are so many kinds of specialties that I was not exploring. Um, having a specialty is valuable because having a thing, a way for people to clearly put a label on you and place you in their brain is mm-hmm. helpful for your career, especially if you're working for yourself. So I knew I wanted a specialty, but I also loved every avenue of design. I loved doing all of those things that I had specialized in before. I wanted to be able to one day design a physical experience for a brand and then next day design like a deck mm-hmm. or like some ads or something for a brand. I love all of it. So I wanted to be a generalist in that regard. So I had to think about other ways I can specialize. And so I did an exercise where I was like, okay, just list out all of the after the projects that I worked on that were the most fulfilling to me Mm -hmm. and then try and figure out why they were the most fulfilling to me. And during that exercise, I realized that they were all the most fulfilling because I was working for brands that were actively trying and working to make the world a healthier or a happier place. And that was really shining through in the product or service they were offering, but it was also really shining through in their company culture. Like the people I worked with loved their jobs and they were really passionate about it and they respected me. And so I realized then that that's what I wanted my specialty to be. I wanted to do all kinds of design, but I just wanted to work with these companies that were working to make their world a happier or healthier place. And so then I had to like figure out how to communicate that, which is very hard. So I, at the time I decided to say, I wanted to call those companies happy companies. So It worked really well because my style was naturally very positive and friendly Mm -hmm. and companies really were hiring me for that at the time as well. So it worked really nicely to say that I was a designer specializing in creating brands for happy companies. Mm -hmm. And so specializing by that sort of like joint value of, you know, making the world feel good, making the world a healthier place um, really made me feel so much more fulfilled in the work that I was making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And especially like we see brands nowadays, uh, they're not kind of sticking to one thing anymore. They're like putting that value statement out there. And it's great that to see that people are becoming more vulnerable on the internet because we're able to like attach ourselves to the brands that we really like and caring about what they have to say rather than like what it is. Yeah, I think it's good. I think um, sometimes it can be you know, we've gotten to a place where authenticity is now a trend. (laughs) So it's, it's so complex because now there are like actual brands that are doing such amazing work with authenticity Mm -hmm. and they are like their company values. They live them out loud a thousand percent and it's great. And then there are others that are just capitalizing on the trend of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so we get this like weird fake authenticity that's happening. And that's really, really scary. But I've definitely found that 
um, what's really wonderful, especially within the past couple of years, is that we are now as individuals holding companies accountable Mm -hmm. in ways that we haven't before, which I think really makes them stand up for their values more. Mm -hmm. And I love that because before, you know, years ago, companies had to appear dry and authoritative in order to be taken seriously. Thank God that's not a thing anymore. Um, Now it's about humans and making sure that you're treating your team well and making sure that you're giving back to the world in order to create a company that people want to work for as well as support. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I remember like I started in business school at first and before I realized like this is not for me, but like the stuff that they were teaching was like, you have, this is how you're supposed to talk to someone. This is how um, you're supposed to have like a brand presence or something. And it's kind of just putting people in these boxes. And then it wasn't until like I got into the real world and I was like, oh, the people that are really succeeding in this are not the ones that are following the rules. The one that really have a message to drive home. That's so true. I think especially with creatives, we, a lot of us and myself included have this issue where we were taught in school that we're supposed to seem academic. Like, especially whenever we write about ourselves or our work, we're supposed to like snap into this academic version of ourselves. And I see that a lot with, with other designers, with their portfolios, for example, they have such Mm -hmm. fun, imaginative work. And then you look at them writing about their work or writing about themselves and they switch into this like third person bio that's super (laughs) academic and the language just doesn't match with the visuals that I'm seeing in their work. And like their bio on their Twitter, for example, might be really serious, but yet they're tweeting all kinds of silly things. And, and so I think it's been really interesting for me to kind of branch out of that and try to explore how I can take my personality and translate it to everything, including copy, which is the hardest. And you probably will see that if you read any of the copy that I write, I write, I try so hard to write the way that I speak and, Mm -hmm. and I try to break rules um, as often as possible, I find myself the first time I write something, I switch accidentally into academic mode mm-hmm. and there's like no exclamation points. There's all these words that I would never <laughs> say out loud. And, and then I like stop myself when it's done and go back in and rewrite it and to make it sound more like me. And then it sounds perfect. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's, it's a matter of assessing every part of what you're doing and making sure that you're unlearning what, what this yeah. advice was that other people told you a long time ago that you've still been believing to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so important. Unlearning. That's a, like a great word to kind of describe it all. Yeah. 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 And I think it's very common for freelancers who work with directly with clients to always want to try com- to accommodate what they what they want, like you mentioned. Um, but that can result in neglecting our own vision and what made us unique and what they hired us for in the first place. Uh, you since worked with some of the biggest companies in the world from like Slack to Dropbox and BuzzFeed, just to name a few. What does the process of working with a client look like when you are really true to your own distinct style? Yeah, it's been fascinating because I would say I didn't work with any of these companies before. Whenever I was, mm. um, whenever I was solving problems, whenever I was not aware of who I was, it's like the moment that I became more self-confident and started being myself a hundred percent through the work that I made through my social media, through my website. Then I started getting all these opportunities. And what I found was happening was that these brands started approaching me because they were like, Hey, 
we love your personality. We want you to bring that into our brand, which I would have mm. never saw coming before I made the switch to being myself a hundred percent. I was so afraid to do it because I thought, and I knew that I would be scaring away most potential opportunities. You know, if I'm not appearing as to be normal <laughs> or the academic version of myself, won't I be scaring people away? The answer has definitely been yes. I am probably scaring away 90% of people that could potentially work with me, but I'm getting hired by only the companies and the people that truly align with who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's extremely fulfilling because it means that they like me for who I am. So I don't have to show up to our, you know, relationship or whatever and pretend to be somebody else anymore, which feels great. But also they're celebrating me and allowing me to take what I can do visually inside of my head and apply it to their brand, which is really cool. So before I was working more as a problem solver, as a designer. And now I'm sort of in this place where I'm working more as an artist, where mm -hmm. I have a very specific style. And usually the problem has already been solved before I get brought in for the most part. Um, usually an agency or the company's internal team has already decided what they want generally and what style they want it to be in. And they come to me because they think that my style and my personality is the best for the solution that they've come up with. So I have been able to bypass that problem solving part because I really don't enjoy it and I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> now I get to let people who love problem solving do all the problem solving. <laughs> and it's also just much more fulfilling to me. And it's helped me to get a lot more work because now, mm -hmm. like I mentioned earlier with specialties and now I have a thing, my thing is my personality, which is so bizarre that this can be true. <laughs> for a career. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's my thing. That's my specialty now is my personality, which shines through in my actual, um, design style and the way that the content that I make for brands as well as the experiences. And that is just, wow, it's so fulfilling. Mm. It's the best. I have the best job. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy to think how it works the other way around where, uh, usually people are like, how can I fit my style to the client? Whereas now you're kind of taking it one step further where it's not like, oh, this person needs, I don't know, web design. So I'm going to give my web design specialty to them. It's kind of taking that one level higher of where you actually match like your value to their value. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that sort of advice of like, you need to put your own style and own taste aside whenever you're working with brands, that advice still holds true. If you're a problem solving designer and you're designing brand strategies for brands, you, you absolutely do generally have to put your own personal taste and style aside, but I'm not, I'm just not interested in that work anymore. So I think there's room for both types of careers to exist. It's just a matter of deciding mm -hmm where you sort of want to be on that spectrum of problem solver to artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we mentioned before that like a lot of people get their worth from their work, which is kind of what we're trained to believe that you get your value from what you do as a job. Um, but for you, you didn't really let designer become your sole identity. And once you figured out this like life philosophy for yourself, uh, how did you kind of apply it to other parts of your life and other parts of your career that's not just designer? Yeah, I mean, I'm like you and everybody else. I'm not just one thing. Humans are so complex and we have so many interests and we're so interesting. And it just, it, it eventually got really um 
I started to just get burnout by doing the same mm. design tasks every single day, just, you know, treating design as a machine of me just designing over and over and over again, what's next, what's next. And I also, part of my personality is that I love change. So I love every day to feel different. So I just eventually realized that I have so much more to offer the world than just design. There's so many skills that I can offer. There's other parts of my personality that I think should be able to shine. And there are so many different services and things that I can make for the world that are a reflection of all kinds of things that don't necessarily have anything to do with design. Mm -hmm. But luckily I am a designer, so I can use my skill set as a designer to make those other things really beautiful and fun to look at. So it's just been kind of an exercise in allowing myself to not be one thing, to be supported as a multidisciplinary human with different interests. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to communicate those things to the world because like we said earlier, people just want to place you. They want to put a label on you so that they can put you in a box in their brain so they know who you are and they can move on mm -hmm. to the next person or the next thing. And humans, we're just so much more complicated than that. We're not just one thing. Um, but on the internet, labels are so important and they help people to place us. And it's, you, you know, you grow your following faster. If you're just like the, you're like, I'm a basket weaving account. That's all I do. Come to me for baskets. <laughs> um, I, I know that grows a faster audience that is more engaged because they come to you for the thing that you do. Mm -hmm. And I am so many different things and I'm trying to be an experiment for all humans to see if this works. I'm trying to make sure that I equally show all parts of what makes me amazing so that I'm an example for people to realize that humans are complicated and we're full of many parts and many things that, that we find exciting. So I'm incorporating everything into my career and finding it really fulfilling for myself. It feels great, the best job in the world. Um, it's just a matter of communicating it so that other people understand what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, if you think about 50 years ago, people maybe like um, went to school for something and then that's what they kind of did for the rest of their lives. That was their career. And then it shifted into people saying like, oh, um, you have an, I don't know the exact number, but like you have an average of like seven career changes in your entire life. And then I feel like nowadays it's so important to like kind of have all of these different things because not only are people changing careers all the time, but they can be more than one thing simultaneously. Exactly. I've definitely found, and I don't know if this works for most personality types, but for me, it works really well to not, I don't set goals. <laughs> I don't, I don't try to envision my future in any way because I feel like the world is totally limitless for me in many ways in that. I, you know, if I set a specific goal or milestone for me to meet in five years, I would just work really hard and I'd, I'd meet it eventually in five years mm -hmm. and it might feel really great. But if I don't set a goal for myself and allow myself to grow and evolve and just work hard and have fun, I find that I always end up way further than I could have ever imagined in, so, in some far off mm -hmm. place that I could have never foreseen coming. And I love that about my career so much. That's one of my favorite parts. So I like the fact that maybe someday I could have a Christmas album. <laughs> I don't <laughs> sing, amazing. but who knows? 
uh, you know, like I could do any, I could be anything, you know, five years from now. And I don't want to prescribe that ahead of time mm-hmm. because where's the fun in that. But I think that's just me. Cause I love surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The thing with goals is like, you do get kind of like stuck into it and let's say like you do have this like epiphany of like, I don't know what I'm doing and you do that self-work, but it doesn't end up matching your goals. That could be kind of a crossroad that you have to face, but instead like making like maybe habits instead that are even like making our every day this week or something like that, even if it's something super small, um, like kind of like staying true to that rather than having this like big overarching goal. Yeah. That's a very, very good point. Habits over goals. I love that. As a designer, you went on and took that into other aspects of your life. So um, you hosted Dribble's Overtime podcast in 2020, which I was personally a huge fan of, but also your own podcast, Sit There and Do Nothing. When did you dive into this world of podcasting? I think you mentioned like just a year ago, which is crazy. Yeah, Yeah, it's just been a year. I think um, the reason why I ended up doing podcasting is because I could do it within my control. I think that's what I'm always looking for in my career. I get so tired, especially as being self-employed person, you constantly feel like you're just waiting around for somebody to believe in you, Mm -hmm. to validate you, to allow you to do and give you opportunities. And if I waited around for brands or clients or anybody to give me an opportunity, it might never happen. So Mm. I am always looking for ways that I can do things a hundred percent within my own control. And I realized that podcasting was one of those ways. I just had to have a decent microphone and garage bands already on my computer. (laughs) So I just, that's all it took. There was no extra overhead for me and it was easy and something I could just get out there all on my own that I didn't need to rely on anybody's approval to do. And so I'm always looking for those ways and podcasting was such, such a great way to do that. And that's why I love podcasting so much. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I, I I had no idea that it was like just you in like a garage band making all of these. Like <laughs> when I started, I was like, oh my God, I'm like the only one doing this on my own. But then like listening to other people's podcasts, I'm like, oh, like they probably have like this professional studio set up or something. But it's really amazing to hear that like something like that or like that you've done is just same as ever, like what I'm doing yeah, as well. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I've totally been in that mindset too. You think you assume that your situation is like three tiers lower than everybody else's. (laughs) And I mean, especially with podcasts, there's like not much money to be made in podcasts. There's not like, even if you get sponsors, they're not like, it's not, it's not like all of a sudden you're making a six figure income off your podcast. You have to have like millions of listeners in order to start making a decent Mm -hmm. amount of money. And for most people that is impossible, but I think that podcasts are such a great way for everyone to just start to be curious about what they can make for the world, what Mm -hmm. their voices start getting comfortable about what they can offer and who they are and what way they can do something unique. And I, you know, I hear a lot of people complain and I have been guilty of the same complaint of like, everybody has a podcast, but I think everybody should have a podcast. It's a great way to grow as an individual. It's a great way for you to experiment and to learn what people enjoy hearing from you about. It's great. I think there's room for everyone to have a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I remember like listening to um, like Twilight podcasts when I was like 12 years old and like that was like because it was like free and I didn't have to like buy stuff on iTunes. (laughs) It's like so crazy to see that like 
it's become so accessible and like anyone can start it as long as like they want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I realized that you were actually a guest on Overtime in 2017. I was. How do you go from kind of being on the guest seat to being on the other side and becoming a host? <laughs> I I don't know, but it's what a what a fun thing. Um, yeah, I think that I ended up. I, I would say the reason why I get any opportunities is just because I am. I try to be as friendly and kind of a human as possible, and that just means like, I I love people and I love attending events. I love meeting people. I want to meet everybody in the world. I just, Mm. I, I think every human is so beautiful and amazing and deserves so much love. And so whenever I meet somebody new, I just think I have that mindset. And so I think a lot of the opportunities that I get are from people that I just met that enjoyed talking to me one time. And so I would say I probably got that opportunity for that reason, um, because they enjoyed talking to me and we just kind of struck a nice relationship and that there's so much to be said about integrating yourself into the creative community rather than isolating yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely don't think of anybody that does anything similar to you as your competition. There's room for everybody. Mm -hmm. We're all capable of having individual careers where we do very different things from one another and offer things in a unique way. And so as long as you have that mindset, it, it creates this wonderful opportunity for you to meet people and get excited about what they're doing and get excited to help them out. And if you like, you know, if an opportunity comes your way, that's not right for you, then you can have an idea of wait, who did I meet that one time that this is perfect for that I can Mm -hmm. forward along to them. And so I think having that mindset really has helped me to get a lot of really great opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mindset is so important that in kind of like the aspect of community. And it's really yeah. hard right now that we can't like, like, I don't know, go to conferences and meet people. But yes. I think what's beautiful is people have found so many different ways to kind of like connect with each other, whether that's like Facebook groups or um there's like that lower of a barrier, I think, like every before you're like, you see someone with like, I don't know, a couple thousand followers on social media, and you think, oh, my God, like, they're not gonna have the time of day for me, because they're busy with like X, Y, and Z. But Mm -hmm. now everyone's kind of on the same playing field. So you have that ability to kind of be like, oh, like, let me just reach out and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things that I hear a lot from when what you mentioned with like, oh, they probably don't have time for me of like younger designers or people who are earlier in their career, even students, I get them ask me a lot or just ask me this general question of if, if I meet with somebody, if I ask somebody, if they want to like hang out with me or, or want to have a conversation with me or like, let me pick their brain. A lot of times I hear the question of, why would they say yes? What do I have to offer them mm-hmm. besides like maybe buying them a coffee or something? And that makes me so sad because I, I, I don't, I don't like that feeling of people that have more experience are better and deserve like that relationship imbalance doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense to me. I think everybody has something to offer. And even if you feel like you don't have any sort of industry tips to give this designer that's way further in their career than you are, you still can offer them a good time. You still can offer them like a fun experience and like a hangout session with you because you're cool and great. So I think just like kind of leveling the playing field, like you were saying with the lower bar now is really helpful in doing that. And I hope that that continues. I hope that we kind of feel the bar is lowered and everybody kind of feels a little bit more equal because I think that that makes a more inclusive and supportive industry. 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. And there's kind of that like different mindset that people have when you're the one reaching out, you always think, oh, they don't have time for me. They're like busy doing whatever. Whereas like, when I think about it the other way around, I was like, if people ask me for photography advice or something, I'm like, wow, like they really actually care about what I'm doing. Yeah, and it feels an good honor. to help others. Yeah. So I think there's such a disconnect that when you really think about it, everyone's kind of like, more or less just the same. <laughs> I do that too. I would say, this is an embarrassing truth, but I would say about 50% of the messages I write to people or emails I write to people or texts I send to people, I don't actually end up sending. I eventually talk myself out of it because I convince myself that I'm bothering them or they don't have time for me. And that is so, so, so stupid (laughs) because of course they do. And I have, have totally been on the other side of that where, you know, sometimes people will say stuff to me like, oh, I thought about hiring you for this, but I knew you were busy and uh, you wouldn't have time for it. And I was like, no, I really like (laughs) desperately need work, please. (laughs) And so uh, I think we're constantly doing this to ourselves when it's so untrue. We all have have time to help each other out. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember like reaching out to you and I was like, oh my God, there's probably like no chance that she's going to say yes. And when you, I remember waking up and I was like, Meg, like, is this real? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like super happy happy that we're able to connect and this happened. Uh, So just wrapping up, are there any upcoming projects that you're working on that you're really excited about? Yeah, I am currently working on. Thank goodness for the low bar that this pandemic has provided because I have always wanted to teach a lot of online classes, but I've always got really hung up on the sort of the technical aspect of making the videos look really high quality. I'm not a videographer Mm -hmm. and I also don't have enough money saved to be able to pay for a professional production Mm -hmm. crew. So I've never, you know, I I hardly ever teach any online classes because I get hung up on the production value of the videos. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness right now, people are totally cool with Zoom and technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to utilize that. So right now I'm currently working on three or four online classes that I'm going to be offering this year. Um, One of them is a portfolio design and strategy class. Another one is called get paid to be yourself. There's a find your personal style. And then I'm also working on one that's about creating your own universe. And it's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to do them. And I'm just really glad that again, like podcasting, it's something I can do totally within my own control right now. And that is such a relief. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And um, I know you published your own book, which is crazy because people yeah. who like want to publish books, they think, oh, like I need a publisher. I need someone to kind of like uh, sign off for me. But like you can totally like do anything yourself if you uh, just find a way to do it. That's a really good point. I think with the book, especially, that's a great example because again, I nobody would I emailed publishers. Nobody would allow me to publish this book. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, well, shoot, I guess I'll just make it myself. But I also didn't have enough money saved to be able to like write and publish and order thousands of copies of a book. So what I did was I wrote it. I made mock-ups where it looked really real. And then I said, it's available, please buy. And it will ship on this future date. That was two weeks from then. (laughs) And then I used all that money to buy the actual copies. So it took me zero dollars to actually... (laughs) (laughs) produce the book. And again, all within my control. And so I definitely, if I had any piece of advice or closing thoughts to mention, it would always be, do not wait on somebody else's validation or approval to do something, Mm -hmm. find a way to do it all on your own. And all that matters is that the world gets to receive it because they Mm -hmm. deserve to have it. 
Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love that. Um, and for those of you who are listening, um, where can we find your work online? Oh yeah. You can go to meglewis.com or on social media. My handle is at your buddy Meg. Awesome. Thank you so much, Meg, for joining us on Overexposed. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, this is amazing. I'm so glad I got to meet you because this has been so inspiring and I love learning about it. Yeah, you too, Wendy. 